What's up, Trent? I can't hear you yet. He's, it's, there it is. There it is. There we go. All right. All right. Cool. Sorry. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> hey, there's no, is this a purely audio thing? Yeah. There's no video component, right? Good. Because, no. you know, I, I didn't brush my hair or anything. You know, yeah. good. Good. I ain't so pretty to look at. Hopefully, yeah. I'm, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, we know we're not pretty. We never would do video. Yeah. No, we would never. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> I do have to say, we all have like cool t shirts on. So you have the damned. Uh, Langan has his corner and, uh, I have my, uh, Tom Savini and fucking Greg Baker Gore shirt. So nice, nice. Nice. You know, well, it's the third of July, right? You know, it's the cool t-shirt day. I'm glad you guys got my message about, uh, you know, make sure you wear your cool t-shirt. No, yeah, total. Well, actually, I got a whole bunch of messages, but today, like, um, so listen, this is Red River podcast and, and we finally get to talk to someone who, um we wanted to talk to we just didn't know how to get a hold of him and then uh one day i have a friend his name is mike and and he's like a a script writer and all this other shit and he was just like yo if you contact trent's like you know old management maybe they have a lead on him and i was like yeah whatever i don't know so i just sent an email and uh then you write me back and it was one of the funniest emails that i've ever gotten (laughs) and uh I don't know if you want to if you want to just elaborate a little bit on what you said. You know, I mean, I don't even I don't even know, man. Look, honestly, I'm I'm like happy to be here. I'm happy to talk about my career. I'm happy that people actually watch my stuff, but you know, we may be the only three people that ever hear this podcast. That was sort of my the gist yes. of it was like, you yeah, know, yeah. I don't have social media. I'm not like a self-promoter type and you know, you'd probably do way better picking someone else anyone else. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of what the email said and funny enough i was talking to our mutual friend rob and uh i was like uh because we had on sam firstenberg so i was like oh man you know the dude who did revenge of the ninja all this other i know you're a shokasuki fan so like i was like holy shit i'm like i'd love to talk to this guy and then i mentioned i was like yeah i'm like i don't know if you know this guy trent blah 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 and rob's like holy shit i totally know trent and i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking tell him that you're not a fucking weirdo and you guys are cool and you know so we're from long island and that's where rob's from so um really it comes down to like me personally watching six movies through the you know the span of like 10 15 years and having no idea that you were like the common thread between them. So it was like Terra Firmer, Citizen Toxie, uh, Dead Girl, Chop, 68 Kill, and Cheap uh, cheap Thrills and 68 Kill. And I was like, yo, these movies are fucking phenomenal. And then I was like, the common thread between them is this fucking guy, Trent Hager. Well, thank you. Thank you for noticing. And I mean, that already goes, that all goes back to my first email. I have a very bizarre, unusual career. I consider it like my dad works in coal. My grandfather was a tool and die maker from Louisville, Kentucky. Like I look at my whole career as like, I just wanted to make movies. I love movies. This is like a blue collar thing. It's like a job. It's like me going out and digging 16 tons of coal and I'll go into any any mountain, you know what I mean? To try to find it. If it's a video game, if it's a Lifetime Network movie, if it's a Charles Band demonic clown film if i get to write my own dig my own hole like it was 68 kill or cheap thrills or dead girl uh and i always thought that that was what made my career really interesting but you start to realize after doing it for 20 something years that very very few people nowadays do what you did which was eventually you draw the line through and you realize that there's sort of a voice or a or or something going on behind all these projects and I blame that on my blue collar upbringing too. My dad was always like, you know, shut your fucking mouth, keep your nose to the grindstone, work and grind. And eventually, you know what I mean? If what you do is good enough, somebody like the Red River podcast will notice <laughs> that like, you know what I mean? There's, there's a thread here. 
today nowadays we're definitely more like the idea that you got to have i got a bunch of followers on twitter because i followed back now i'm going to tell you how fucking awesome i am and remind you of like all the stuff that i've done and you know what to me it doesn't count if yeah. that's what you have to do if you are your own biggest cheerleader then whatever you did it doesn't count man you have to be able to make something that stands so on its own that it creates its fans and in many ways too i don't look at myself as a product i'm a guy who makes product and i want you to love my films i want you to love them and talk about them or whatever but it's not my main goal wasn't to be like making sure when i make a movie it doesn't the first credit that comes up doesn't say trent Hager film that's not how I roll. That's not what I do, you know. Uh, but at the, you know, at the same time, this is the 21st century, and there's a, uh, there are certain like you, you, you don't quite achieve what. It's, it's a lot harder to do it this route. It would be easier if I just built a large following and kept reminding people how uh, interesting I was. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think what it is too, and I mentioned it on the last episode, is, is I think, you know, Google now, you know, it's like it's beyond staring the, at the back of a movie box and maybe seeing the name Trent. Uh, now it's, it's also like obs obsessive uh, movie fans like us i mean like speaking for myself but i'm sure sam does too like i see a movie i gotta go on imdb i gotta see everybody that's in it i want to know who directed it i want to know who wrote it you click that guy i like the way that guy writes it leads you down a rabbit hole and you start it makes it easy to follow someone's work you know right 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 i mean that i think that uh you guys i don't know but we're all of a certain age we you are know, now <laughs> and i think that uh that that's the way you, that's the way you had to do it pre-internet in a way if I saw something, I remember when I was a kid, I saw a skateboard magazine. I grew up in a place where they didn't even have them. I just happened to see one out of town. And so I bought it. It was called Thrasher. Yeah. had no idea. Took it home. I opened it up and I saw a guy doing an air and he had a sticker on the bottom of his skateboard that said Misfits and had like a skull on it. This was like 1985 or 84, sure. somewhere in there. And I remember being like, yeah, okay. So I remember seeing that and being like, I don't know if this is a truck company, a skateboard company. Is it a band? Is it a movie? I don't know. There was no way. And I, and I didn't have the internet to like access it. So you had to just keep an eye out. You had to like know what you were kind of interested in and dig and you had to dig a little bit deeper. And, you know, so now you, see a movie that you like and you can look it up on google you guys are actually taking a step to be like well what did this person do i'm interested in pulling on that thread and yeah. i just feel like the uh you know i got a 19 year old kid i know how these things go like they don't have to dig anymore they don't have to pull the thread you can just sit there and open up your window and then all the people that you've asked to join your group or your whatever they just yell at you what's okay like you don't there's it's not incumbent upon you mm. to try to do this work anymore uh but as a result of that i just feel like there's less uh, I, I don't know man we it's a it's a weird thing going on <laughs> no no for sure and, and the thing with you is like you know like uh, just like the career because even like past uh the movies that i was into like when, when we started doing some research obviously uh i mean shit you've done a lot of fucking stuff you know and and i think it's it's one of those things where you know, like you said, it's like one thing leads to another. And I feel like you were just like, okay, like I'll do this. I'm going to write for a video game. I'm going to do that. Like everything that, that you could do creatively. I don't think you ever thought anything of it than like, okay, maybe this will lead me to a 68, like my, you know, directing chop or something. So uh, opportunity knocks, man. And, and you got to fucking answer that door. I'm sure. You know what, 100%. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest in the 1980s, where people when you were like, I really love movies, and I would like to become a filmmaker, people just laugh in your face. You know, that was not that was like a fool's dream. That was for people who lived in Hollywood or whatever. And uh, so because and because of that sort of like blue collar Midwestern attitude, I think, has helped me because I just keep I just keep piling through, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I definitely look at every job as just the thing that I'm working on at that time, you know, and you try to do the best that you can with the resources that you're given. But I don't, uh, I, this, I just knew that I love movies and I wanted to be involved in some way, any way. I don't even care. When I called that's a wrap on my directorial debut, like three days later, I was filling up a cooler for a, as a PA for like a TV commercial. You know what I mean? I just, uh, I didn't, I, I, 
in many ways, I guess that goes back to our whole idea of I never thought about like branding myself. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And and at the time, and you know what? It's led to some really interesting, like strange left turns in my career. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up for the world. But because I didn't brand myself, people don't know who I am or what I've done. You know what I mean? So it's like a, it's a double-edged sword. I don't know what, you know, what. No, no, completely. And, and the thing, you know, the, the, the diving board that I love that you started on was you were a video store worker. So I think that's like, you know, I mean, shit, Tarantino, like, you know, listening to him just recently, like, I feel like once like growing up, like for guys like us, like you either work at a video store or a music store. And that was it. That was like the goal. I was like, Oh my God, you can have the best job you can have. Cause you're like, (laughs) yeah, 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 no. Yeah. Absolutely. And this was in Charleston, West Virginia. I moved there about halfway through my junior year of high school. And I finally got the video store job and it wasn't Blockbuster. It was the only independent video store in all of Charleston. And it was a tiny like closet sized place in the front where my boss would go and buy like boxes of VHS tapes from flea markets. So there was all kinds of fucking ninja movies like we had Andy Warhol's Dracula and Frankenstein VHS tapes I would sit in front watch ninja movies exploitation films but we had you'd walk through a curtain and there was a gargantuan porn room and so (laughs) basically like I sat there and rented we were the only people in town that did porn and we weren't like an adult peep show. It was a video <laughs> store. So I spent like, and I was illegal too. I was 17. I was working at this place and I wasn't even supposed to be rented. Like couldn't even see the whatever. And I worked there and I just rented porn to hillbillies like all day long. This is pre-internet. Guys would come in and rent like eight or 10 porns and then take them for like five days and obviously take them back up into Boone County and dub them, dupe them, and then bring them all back. And I mean, I just like, Rented porn to people and watch wow. ninja movies like all day long. <laughs> That's amazing. Just, you were you yeah. were you were the porn plug. That's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was I- great because like it wasn't a porn store, so he had to have product, and so he would literally just buy boxes of old VHS tapes to put in the front room. And it happened to be that when you went to a flea market in West Virginia and bought a box of videotapes, it was usually just some weird, you know what I mean, public domain, all kinds of weird shit. So. Yeah. Back right, my up, right up my alley. <laughs> back, back then, we we always say like the bigger the box, like the the better the movie. Like you see like those Gorgon videos or, or like all this other stuff. But actually, this yeah. is this was probably like a little bit. So this was like late eighties, right, or, or early nineties? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah it was late eighties. I graduated high school in nineteen ninety. I worked that job, you know, for whatever. So 80, 88, 89, Yes. Yeah, so, so you feed you feed that. You know, it's like for us, it's like I play music. That I think that's where Brian took his thing too. Like we, that's what we wanted. But like you're consuming movies. And from there, you're probably thinking like, okay, like I want to, I want to go make movies. And then I know that you went to uh, film school, right? New York, is that what happened? Then you stumbled onto trauma. Yeah, I actually went to film school in Chicago. Okay. Uh, I went. To, uh, this is the, like apropos of nothing because it's a boring story. But I went I, to Ohio State. I went yeah. to Ohio State University for a year, and they canceled the film program the year I got there <laughs> because you know they could obviously keep it. And this was in 1990 when film schools weren't at every university. You know what I mean? It still wasn't quite a thing. And they were like, we don't have enough people going to film school here. This is Ohio, but we got to keep the stadium open for like six football games a year. We're going to cancel this whole thing. So then I went to a place called Columbia College, Chicago. It was like a film school there that at the time was pretty, you know, nobody had really heard of it. But nowadays I end up meeting kids all the time that either come from there or whatever. It's a much bigger school than it was at the time. And after I graduated there, I went to New York and just worked fucking weird jobs. I worked for a really high-end fashion house for like a year and a half in their PR department for Jean-Paul Gaultier. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's our next guest. Yeah, yeah, of course he is. You know, uh, he loves this shit. Uh, uh, <laughs> and then I went to Troma and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. So Troma is so legendary for for... Man, it's it's such a like rite of passage. Like when you think of like things like Faces of Death or or like movies just, just growing up. When I remember watching the Toxic Avenger, and it was up there with like Pieces and Maniac and sure. Grotesque. Uh, yes. w- when that kid's head gets crushed, I was like watching it and I was like laughing, but inside I was like, this is kind of like really disturbing me as a young kid. Yeah. Uh, but like it, it, there was something so filthy about their movies 
but just like grime, like New York City, New Jersey sure. grime. And man, like what a diving board for for a lot of people, you know, uh, that started there, that that they kind of like had their their run-ins there. And it's like uh, a school almost, like the way yeah. they talk about the Roger Corman school of coming up, you know, trauma. Yeah, yeah, thing too. Absolutely, man. I completely agree. And I'm so glad I'm proud to have graduated from that school. Although, you know, what I will say is, is I think Roger Corman wasn't as uh, Louis Kaufman. God bless him, man. I was just a kid whose dad worked in coal. I didn't know any. He get, he will hand you as much rope as you will take. And you're either going to fucking build a basket or you're going to hang yourself. But he'll like feed it to you all day long. And I but the thing is, I could say about Lloyd is his methodology was that he's rather indiscriminate. You know what I mean? I think Roger Corman really was able to sit in a room with someone, talk to them and determine whether or not they had talent. And he was really good at it. I don't think that Roger Corman had quite the revolving door that Lloyd did. I mean, I, I only worked there for what I did several projects. I worked in the office. I was there for years. But like if you see the number of people that came in and would only last like a week. Like if there, it's, it's just not, it's, the number is huge, you know? Uh, and you, you were a part of like the two, two like of the two of the, yeah, two of the best, like later on, like if you asked me, like, first of all, listen, <laughs> Newcomb high and, and the OG toxic Avenger sure. were just like, man, like that's what you grew up on. You fucking rented those movies and mm -hmm. both of those movies spawned awful sequels, <laughs> right? except I would always say, I'm like, yo, how is citizen toxy? <laughs> so fucking good because it was like the most like you wrote the story right yeah yeah oh god god like, did i write that boy a... that was so much so much work man <laughs> every time lloyd would read a newspaper article he'd be like oh we gotta have this in there and i'd be like how does that make any sense with the plot you know what i mean it's like that's not my job figure it out and i think that when you watch something like terra firmer which oh, i love it's a great I love movie those two right, right but I was there when we were making that movie and like what it was in the script and then what came in the movie and then in editing, it would be like, we're going to kill this puppet with this dick stretching thing. You know what I mean? That moved to like four or five different spots in the movie because it didn't matter. You know what I mean? I had to be the dude who was like, this is my first chance writing a screenplay. So instead of me just sticking in a vignette, like Lloyd is asking me to, now I've got to rewrite the whole script to try to fit, you know what I mean? Fit this into the, to the story. Uh, uh, but, you know, I think that the reason that, that that movie, those two turned out really well is there. It was about the time that Lloyd had been doing it for a while. It was like uh, Lloyd dreams up this weird world that's only in his head. He probably doesn't even understand it because he's operating on a level like an artist. It's coming from the ether and he's just yes. accepting signals. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? You're right. Yeah. And yeah, then people are like, oh, quick, crank out some sequels. But your business is really booming. You also got cartoon deals. So he kind of hands off to some other people, but nobody, they didn't know what trauma was. By the time Terra Firma and Citizen Toxie came out, he was working with guys like me that had like literally grown up. Oh, I knew trauma. I knew what it was. I knew what it could be. I knew how much it meant to me. And I also, you know, I just feel like, you know, it was the first time during that era where he was starting to work with people that were, that were like, I actually really understand what you're doing. And let's also, just like try to bump it up to the next level of what you're trying to do. I get it. It's like punk rock, mad magazine, angry young man. I, I understand this sex and, and humor. And, uh, and I think that as a result of that, like that's why I think that sequel is, is particularly strong yeah. is because it was the first of his movies made by a generation of uh, health helpers and assistants and filmmakers who had grown up watching his movies, which is like, so like, so important, man. Like I, you know, you, and you see that just through cinema, regardless, once it lands on the hands of someone, you know, like, I mean, I know, I don't know why, but everyone hated the Leatherface 2017, but I was like, yo, I'm like, this dude made high tension and all these other movies. Like once it gets in the hands, that's why I always love Eli Roth. Sometimes, mm. sometimes I like his movies. Sometimes I don't, but I know that it's in the hands of someone who grew up with this stuff, who understands it. Um, and, and, and man, like those two movies, Terra Firmer and uh citizen toxie in general the, like th those were like the two best of that era and yo did you have any interactions with uh like lemmy or uh yeah i mean i, I got pretty much lemmy just because we're so motor yeah yeah stuff. um you know obviously we shot all the citizen toxie stuff somewhere else at some other time there was a lot of that kind of thing going on 
But with Tara Farmer, Lemmy kind of has a scene where he's like the reporter when <laughs> Joe Fleischer is going to get ground up. And uh, it's funny, my girlfriend at the time is a background extra. She's now my wife of like 22 years. That's how long ago we did this. Uh, but Lemmy was like pretty interesting, but he was a rock star. Yeah. And he wasn't really even interested. And in, I mean, I think he respected Troma and Lloyd, but like certainly he just wants to show up, do his thing and get the fuck out of here. And of course, if you've ever been on a trauma set, nobody gets to just show up, do their thing and get the fuck out of there. There's always some whatever. My The most interesting story was that Lemmy shows up and he's like, oh, fuck you guys. This is going to you're not even close to shooting my scene. I want a bottle of Jack. I want two girls and I want speed. <laughs> yes. And he was like, go yes. get him for me and I'll hang around. And I remember Sean, uh, Sean, oh my God, uh, Pierce from the Toilet Boys, who's in the movie, was like, I know a guy who's got some speed. And we sent him off. And then like somebody else was like, Will Keenan wasn't in that scene, but he was there. And we were like, he's like, I know where to get two girls. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to go on like this weird scavenger hunt to kind of like gather all the things that Lemmy needed to keep him happy. Can you imagine? Me. That is the best. You know, yeah. the funniest story about this. Um, I remember when I watched Citizen Toxie um, and I saw you. But for some reason, I mean, I didn't know back then. Like, obviously, I didn't know who Trent Haga was. I sure. thought I thought you were Steve Grillo from the Howard Stern show because of the Hank, the, uh, the angry dwarf association. Uh, okay. I was like, wow. I'm like, that might be Steve Grillo. Cause I know he was like acting. And then later on, that's when I learned your name when I went to go. So that was how I ended up like learning who Trent Hago was back then, because I thought you were somebody, I'm a huge Stern fan. And I was like, Oh, I got to find out that's Steve Grillo. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Sorry to disappoint you, but that was Hank. So... No, 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 that was Hank for sure. That was That's Hank. That's one of the best cameos. <laughs> but I'm not Steve Jones, so sorry. I, 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 I got to say the Hank scene where he's just like, and tell the Pope to stop talking about me. He don't know me. And his hat's fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoever was... It's so funny. <laughs> that was sort of a, uh, obviously, I mean, I wrote the script. We wrote all that stuff. I do remember at the end with a couple of those like go away lines like that about the Pope and whatever, like we were all just sort of like, you know, Hank was really starting to get like, he wanted to get drunk and I wouldn't let him drink his blackberry brandy until we finished shooting the scene. And he was getting more and more agitated because of that, you know, but I was like, if we start late, you start drinking now, like we've already, we got a schedule. So let's do the scene and then I'll you can get hammered. Uh, so he was really, but we were just yelling lines from the, everybody was just everybody sort of like you know making up lines and be like say this say that you know and he was just just saying them and then they that got put together in editing so yeah so i i think it's interesting too like you you worked uh pretty much with uh, uh lloyd and charles band people that 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 i you know I, I it seems to be kind of like a like a film school of just like how to make something you know, very quick. And like, if something like I, I, it seems to be like a, like a, just like a, a total learning crash course in making movies. Um, I mean, is that how you feel about those two guys? Uh, 100%. And both these guys probably like, they don't have the greatest reps in town. People feel like they've been abused by them or mistreated by them or whatever. But for me, I knew exactly what I was getting into. I'm like, this is, I'm not a kid of a, my uncle's not a producer at fucking Paramount, dude. You know what I mean? And I just needed some opportunity. And it very much reminded me of like d doing the work that I did as a kid. Build, the, dig these fence hole posts, yeah, yeah. man. We're going to yeah. make a fence. Like, yeah. and you're going to know how to make a fence, but I'm yeah. going to make you sweat and it's going to be fucking hard. And, yeah. and so I just went into it with that attitude. What was really beneficial to me personally, I think, is that Lloyd Kaufman showed me how to make a movie. I mean, I had made some short films in school or whatever, but like hiring cast, hiring crew, doing it all, shooting on 35 millimeter film. It was like, uh, oh, <laughs> thanks, sorry. Uh, uh, shooting on 35 millimeter film. It was all, uh, 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 I was really learning the nuts and bolts, but Lloyd was also big enough that he could be like, I'm gonna shoot for 35 days and, and he could get a team to do it. And even though you're making it for a very little money, he just doesn't pay everybody. But Lloyd was like a little bit legendary. By the time I work a band, like he was going through his ups and downs. He was in a down period. Nobody wanted to work for him because he didn't have any money. And so uh, he came to us and sold three titles to Blockbuster. <laughs> and he didn't have any of the movies or he didn't have anything. 
And he came, he was like, oh my God, I, it was in August. And he was like, (laughs) I need three movies. I need Killjoy 2. I need Prison of the Dead 2. And I need something called Dead and Rotting. You guys need to write the scripts, put them together, do them. You have eight day shoots. You got to do all your uh, post-production in like three and a half weeks because these have already been promised a blockbuster by these days. So I learned sort of, you know, the nuts and bolts of visionary filmmaking from uh, Lloyd Kaufman, but it was, it's a mess. It's very disorganized. When you're working for band and you only have eight days to make a movie, there is no time for artistry. It is purely like functional filmmaking, functional scheduling, functional budgeting. And so like I had that freewheeling kind of like uh, how to notice something in the background that's interesting uh, from working with Lloyd Kaufman. But the whole uh, regimentation of shooting a movie in a very short amount of time or whatever all was uh, because of my like, uh, my uh, Charles Band experience. So the combining of the two really, I felt, gave me a lot of strength because I got to see two completely different sort of masters of what they do work. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And then from there, just, you know, like uh, the movies that you made after or even like written, you know, like uh, a lot of that stuff, you know, just man, every everything about it. I feel like anyone that's worked there, uh, you know, I'll throw James Gunn in there, too. It's like you you feel the influence from from like, let's say a trauma, but like on a different level, you can be like, you know, like if you watch Slither, you're like, oh, I completely fucking get what's going on. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, yeah. no one can ever be Lloyd Coffin. He's a completely unique person and I would never try to be him as a matter of, you know, but I did. I did it with Citizen Toxic. I tried to get in his head, try to make the thing that he would do, blend myself with it a little bit. Uh, uh, and trauma was definitely one of my big influences on in my life. But so was the baby and so was Fight for Your Life. I got to get this dog out of here. Uh, sorry. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, 1970s exploitation films and John Carpenter movies and Mad Max and uh, Troma and everything. So, like, I would never attempt to do something that is exactly like Troma because A, I already did it, and B, Lloyd Kaufman is Troma. But obviously, I'm just the amalgamation of my influences, and Troma is definitely one of them. So, you're never going to not see some of that in anything that I do. It's just the way it goes. What What, what you, is, what uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, what what are your thoughts of the uh, much talked about Toxic Avenger reboot remake? You know, uh, you know what? God, I hope Lloyd gets rich. You know what I mean? I hope he makes a ton of money off of it. I love him, and he's getting older. And I thought his last movie was fucking brilliant, but hardly anybody even talks about it. Which one? So I know he's not getting money from Shakespeare's Shitstorm. I want him to. I want him to. Like, you know, make a big bank. I want yeah. him to succeed. And I don't really care about the movie or how it comes out or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We've already, we already have the Toxic Avenger and I have my mentor and Lloyd, you know, I just want the best for him personally. And if that means the movie's got, you know, hopefully the movie's super successful. So Lloyd gets really rich. But as far as like me chomping at the bit to go see it, I mean, I already wrote what I consider to be one of the greatest I, w- I was there every day for one of the greatest Toxic Avenger projects ever. So whatever they do is of no import or consequence to me in my mind. Right. And the only thing is that I want, you know, I want Lloyd to benefit from it immensely. And I Absolutely. think that I want people to uh, rediscover who he is. I want him to live on forever. He's like, uh, you know, he's my Mr. Miyagi. He's my Joseph Campbell's second father. He's, you know what I mean? You always have the father that raised you and taught you how to do everything and taught you your attitude, but he loves you too much. <laughs> he loves you a little too much to give you that harsh, harsh, whatever. And you always like, as your apprentice, people don't do this anymore. You know what I mean? But I always like, you, you read about it in old books or whatever. Somebody apprentices with an old master who puts him through some harsh tasks that he doesn't really care. Like he's like, it appears that he doesn't care if you get harmed, if you get hurt, if you, whatever, he's forging you through fire. And because he's not your real father, you know what I mean? He doesn't have to love you in that way. And so you have to earn that by coming through the other end of the fire. And so, you know what, Lloyd is that guy to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and so I want nothing but the best for him. So many people went through it. They couldn't go through the other end of the fire. They didn't get forged and they hate Lloyd, but that's their fault. It's not Lloyd's. Lloyd is always very upfront about who he is, who he is. what he does. I remember my first job interview when I went in to get hired from him. He looked at me and was like, you don't want this job. 
You're going to hate me by the time this is all over. I'm not going to pay you shit. I'm not going to whatever. And I mean, listen, after being in Hollywood all these years and trying to get things off the ground, it's so I started out with someone who was refreshingly honest and told me exactly how out here people are going to tell you that you're the greatest and there's no way they're going to butt fuck you while they're like lubing you up. You know what I mean? It's like and I'd rather have somebody just come right out and look me in the right. eye and tell me, here's the situation you're getting into. Can you handle it? You know, right. I'm, I'm a grown up. Yeah, I love that. I, I exactly like you said, I never worked for him, but he seems like someone, you know, like you said, it's like this is what it is. And uh, it's like a legendary like rite of passage for sure. Uh, and man, it's amazing, like how some people would get upset knowing certain things. But it's like, yo, that shit just makes you better. It makes you tougher. It makes you stronger. It's like it makes you 100 percent. I think, you know, look, he represents when he's at Cannes, when he's on TV shows or whatever. It looks like a fun time. It looks like a little punk rock anarchy party. And of course, I guess to some extent it is, but that's also the front. You know, you have to be pretty serious and dedicated to make a movie. You have to be willing to do some thing. And I think a lot of people only see the, uh, I mean, the movies look like a big fat fun party. They're full of whatever. And I think the people just get the wrong impression. It's very difficult to pretty dedicated to do it. You know? Yeah. Uh, did I lose you? No, uh, for, for a little no. bit. A yeah. Little can bit. You hear me? Yeah. We, I can Got hear you, you now. now. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, sorry, I don't know who that was. Nah, yeah, right. But I saw a very, <laughs> I saw a very concerned look on your face. But I kept talking like an idiot. No, 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 no. It's all, it's all good. It's Charles. Charles. Is it still not working? Or no, no, it's good. Oh, you're good. It's probably Charles Band wondering why you're not talking about him. <laughs> um, you know, God bless Charles Band. And yeah. God bless him. But uh, he didn't like. He, he's not loyal to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, all right. It, it, Around here on Long Island, we have a place called King's Park. Uh, it's okay. like a, it's like a place, uh, you know, it's like a old mental asylum. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been run down forever. And a lot of times, people go write graffiti on it, and they go hang out there. Yeah. And they go get fucked up there. So when I saw a yeah. dead, when I saw a dead girl, <laughs> I was like, "Yo, these kids are cutting school. They're getting into some shit, and they find a dead girl." Now this was quite the movie and uh you wrote the script to this but obviously you didn't direct it so how did that come about uh well you know it's interesting uh uh i had just done citizen toxie which we were talking about and in that movie there was like a school there is a uh, a <laughs> hospital there's a, a, a small town and basically i had just done all the location scouting i had done all this stuff for citizen toxie and worked really hard on citizen toxie for like six months uh but i had the contacts of all these people's locations in upstate new york and one of the things is we wanted to shoot there's this big sequence where she's giving birth and it's like a hospital thing. We knew there was going to be a bunch of fights and everything and no real hospital is going to let a trauma film shoot there. I wouldn't even allow it anyway, you know, uh, with Nazis. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so our option was to try to find a place that looked like a hospital and there were all these abandoned mental hospitals up there. So I toured locations scattered like three or four mental hospitals and like same situation, graffiti, People obviously have been out there weird. You know what I mean? It just got my mind thinking a lot. And so I wrote Dead Girl based on A, some of the locations that I thought I could get. B, I had just done Citizen Talks. I've been trying to be Lloyd Kaufman or like trying to replicate him for like six months. And I was like, you know what? That was great and all, but I want to write a movie that like the kind of movie that I would love to see. The kind of movie that like, I like those day records, man. I like that dark stuff. I like... Yeah whatever. I like juvenile delinquent movies. I love Over the Edge. I love River's Edge. You know what I mean? I wanted to make a creepy juvenile delinquent movie like the ones that I loved, except, you know, through a little bit of a horror lens, so maybe we could get it off the ground. I originally wrote that script and gave it to Lloyd and was like, Lloyd, what you need to do now is surprise everybody. Make something that's totally not trauma. We'll get digital cameras, digital, the idea of shooting on digital was still pretty new, very new at the time that I wrote it. Uh, uh, and so I was like, we could be revolutionary. And Lloyd read the script and was like, I see where you're going with this, but this isn't my style and I can't do it. So I put it on a shelf and it sat around for years. And eventually uh, I met a couple guys, the guys who directed Dead Girl. They had heard I was a writer. I don't have any management or representation, so I'm easy to come to. And 
make a deal with. And uh, they were looking for ideas, but had never read anything that I'd written. And they looked at this big pile of screenplays I have over here. And they were like, what's this one dead girl? And I was like, you know what, man? I kind of showed this around town a couple of years ago. And people were like, don't. Just put this away. If you want a career, nobody's ever gonna, no one is ever gonna fucking make this movie. And if they aren't sane enough to do it, no one is gonna watch it. It'll destroy your career. People have told me that about a lot of my work, uh, but they're wrong. They're fucking wrong. And I knew it. And uh, these guys read it as a writing sample. And then they came back and were like, this is the movie we wanna make. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Yes. This, you know? this movie in particular um, is probably, I mean, probably the most, you know, hard to watch for sure just for, for the subject matter but yeah. that's that's i love that you know last year i saw the movie swallow i thought that was like one of the fucking best movies probably my favorite movie of last year you know a pregnant woman with pika you know what i yeah. like what i like about what you do is it's like a human it's like the evil that men do you know yes. like we all love slashers we all love like horror, just like monster shit. But like when, when it comes down to like real people doing real fucked up shit, that's like the last frontier of horror for old people like us, you know? You know, that, that's it. I mean, like what we what you just talked about or whatever. I mean, that's what I did when I was 15 and I was a kid then. And I liked it and I, I liked it then. And I do like it to an extent now, but now I'm a man and I'm trying to make adult art, even though sometimes it may not appear. You know what I mean? That's my whole trick is to make something that deceptively on the surface looks like quite simple but when you walk out at the end you kind of are still it's like sticking in your brain a little bit like peanut butter you know i i call them peanut butter movies they stick to the roof of your brain things like a serbian film or what there's like or the ken russell's the devils movies that just like they stick inside of you so many movies you watch and they go in your eye holes and just drip out your ear as you're watching them you know what i mean and they don't there's too much content out there you got to try to make these things no, uh, but this, I got to say that all these things, I'm always trying to do stuff and it takes about six to eight years. I'm always working like at some place where uh, uh, it takes a little bit before people get behind it and can and can uh, understand. For instance, I had a meeting with a guy a couple months ago and he was talking about Dead Girl and how much he liked it. And he was like, man, if that movie came out this year and it was made by a woman, it would be the most important movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that fundamentally I was dwelling on, I was, I was playing with ideas of toxic masculinity and maleness and, you know what I mean, objectification of women and whatever, long before it was like trend, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, and, and so that's what I'm always like sort of trying to really extrapolate and poke at the very, very edge of something because it usually takes about that long. Cheap Thrills is a spec that I wrote oh. and I gave it to my agency back when I had an agency at the time and he was like, why did you do this? Why? I'm not even going to show this to anybody. Put it back on the shelf and go write me a real movie. You know what I mean? And then, and then the 2008 economic, uh, 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 you know, uh, meltdown happened. And all yeah. of a sudden, people understood that you might stab your friend. You know what I mean? Where I grew up, people will stab you for $3,000. But it's, like, it's relatable. It's, you know, it's so relatable. Yes. And, and cheap thrills, I think, might be like, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, not to like say anything about anything else, but I feel like that that's yeah. that's your masterpiece for me. That's like amazing. that's the one that's like, you know, that's that's your thing or Halloween as far as it's I'm a concerned. Perfect script, perfect scenario, perfect cast. It's just oh, it, the cast it, is it, great. It checks the check. Yeah, all the thank box. you. Pat, you know, Pat Healy is just amazing. I always love that guy because he he reminds me of like a, a Dylan Baker. He can play like a regular straight regular guy, but. There's something he could go completely twisted to like it. It's, totally, uh, totally. He's like a classic character actor, the likes of which we just don't have that yes. many of them anymore. Yes. Uh, look, and I mean, look, anything. It's like capturing lightning in a bottle. I can't tell you what the secret to how that movie turned out. It was just that a bunch of people made a bunch of right decisions and met up with all the right people at the right time. And there was a confluence, you know what I mean? Yeah, certainly everybody was like smart and knew what they were doing and there was like a, 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 a there was some guiding force behind it but it's really weird when a movie like that you know obviously I wrote the screenplay going oh it's four characters in two locations I can make this a stage play I can make this a whatever and my agency at the time was like can't like we're trying to get you to make 50 million dollar movies man 
what is this? Like, why would you write me something about space cowboys or something? You know what I mean? They're all there. They're interested. They didn't, they didn't get it. And it sat around for a really long time. And then Evan Katz, the director, was just a writer that I was friends with who took me to another meeting with another writer who was looking for material. And I pitched, uh, yeah, I was like, I don't really have, they were looking for horror movies. And I was like, I don't really have any straight horror movies laid around. The closest thing would be this. And I pitched him Cheap Thrills, which had been sitting on my desk for, for years. And when we got out, they were like, no, we're looking for monsters. And uh, when we got out, Evan was like, oh, that sounded really interesting. I'd like to read your script. And he was just a fellow writer. So I sent it to him. And then he called me up like two weeks later. He was like, I got a producer. We want to option this. And we want to make this into a movie. And I was like, yeah, whatever, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> My agency told me nobody wanted this. Okay, you're crazy. But it, it, I think it, it sticks with you because yeah. like, like you were saying, and why a lot of your films, because it's easy for you, like, you know, I'm a dad and a provider, and you put yourself in that scenario, if it all goes tits up, like, what would you yep. do to keep yeah. this train on the tracks and and putting yourself in that situation? And, you know, it's, it's yeah. unforgettable. And it's funny because all of my best things, I think, come as a, from write, writing-wise, a lot of my best work comes from pains, places of pain and discomfort. Not going to lie to you, man. That was like, I was at a low point in my career. I was working, I was PAing, I was writing full moon movies for like less than a thousand dollars. I had just had a kid. My wife who's been with me forever was like, you know, when is this gonna pan out? When is this gonna start working out for you? You know what I mean? And, 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 and I- That's brutal. Rem- Mm. yeah i remember you know it was but it was like you know she's been with me for 30 years she could be truthless she's like a family member it's like hey man what are you doing like and i came back here in my office and i sat here and was like so depressed and i remember thinking to myself man like if a dude offered me like twenty thousand dollars <laughs> chop my hand off with yeah. a chainsaw on a webcam right now like i would do it and then <laughs> <laughs> I was like, huh. and then weirdly enough, I was so depressed that that night I went out by myself and went to go see House at the Edge of the Park at the New Beverly. Mm. And somehow my despotism, like, you know what I mean? And watching that movie in particular, like something just went ping and I wrote the script, you know, in a flurry of like, you know, uh, fear and discomfort. Uh, but then it sat around for a really long time. But like, well, you know, a lot of my good stuff, Dead Girl came from like, whatever, this weird, you know, you're a teenager, you have been rejected, you're whatever, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, and I was sort of a punk rock dude who was whatever, and that didn't get you laid. Okay, being a horror nerd didn't mean yeah. that your girlfriend had tattoos and was a pinup model with like 250,000 followers, okay? Being a horner got you fucking punched in the face <laughs> in 1988. Okay, I, it's a tell, it's hard for people to understand this, but it's true. <laughs> it did, it did. Yeah, I I caught the tail. I'm yeah. 40. I'm 43, so I caught like the tail end, maybe. You know, right, by, right, by, right. By, Once by, the internet came out, everybody decided it was cool. Yeah. But if you were into this shit pre-internet, you oh, were yeah. just a fucking freak, and no girl wanted you or anything like that. And these feelings of like rejection and whatever sort of led to this weird dark path that eventually became Dead Girl as well. You know, I remember so, saying that to a younger relative going to a Slayer show and stuff. I'm like, when I was a kid and into Slayer, <laughs> like there was no girls. At yeah, shows. there's still There's no girls. Now it's, no, it's way different now, man. It's like <laughs> a lot. That, I'm like, it was not cool, man. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, totally. I remember. So, like, usually, like this pet peeve, like whenever we're on Facebook and we're like on a horror group, uh, somebody who's like a fucking adult is like, "Oh, this movie isn't even scary," and I'm thinking like. How fucking old are you? I'm like, <laughs> at this age, the only thing that's scary is unemployment, being evicted, and cancer. Those are the three right. things. So, right, like, right. When, when you get to something like Cheap Thrills, you're like, yeah, this is fucking scary because yeah, right? you're, you, this is like, you know, like you're pitted against each other. And, and, and what I like about the movie in particular is the very beginning or like, you know, once they meet up at the bar, like it's almost like they immediately start in with each other, like so passive aggressive and shit, man. you know? So it like really sets a table for these two people to just kind of like ramp up. Yeah, it is. It's uh, you know, real life is my biggest inspiration more than movies. I guess that's like the most important thing is I feel, I see so many movies made these days from people that 
have not lived quite as much. Like, it's like they're making movies based on or around. Like I can watch your movie and I can tell what movies you like, mm. but I can't watch your movie and tell what kind of a life you live. You know what I mean? And that to me is sort of the litmus test for a project for me personally. You know what I mean? Is whether I get excited about it. It's like it's got to have that 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 human thing to it. You know what I mean? I can't. It can't be just a movie that's like, hey, I love these three movies, so I'm going to do a version of that. You know, oh, that's yeah. not where my good my good stuff doesn't come from. That my good stuff, and I've done that before. I've done ripped from the headlines, Lifetime movies, or whatever. But the real good stuff that I do comes from real life, man. And that's because that's the anchor point at which people can connect, you know? And what, what are some, some like influences like that? Like some movies that you've seen through the years, like for me, I always go to like happiness, happiness. Right. And, I'll, and I'll tell you another one with your, uh, you know, the, the girl, Annalyn McCord, uh, her movie excision was yes. brutal. Yes. Like watching I love that. Ricky. I love Ricky. He and I are buddies. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't have had Goobler or Annalyn in my movies if it wasn't for Ricky helping me out with that, you know what I mean? And he really like put in the good word for me or whatever. I like all of Ricky's movies. I think that uh, anybody who's got their own vibe, you know what I mean? Obviously, you know, it's less, I'm, I, I like really study filmmakers. Uh, uh, and, and I find that if I like them, I like Werner Herzog. I like fucking Gaspar No. I like uh, fucking Nicholas Winding Refn. I really like uh, 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 Alex de la Iglesia. I really love Ricky's movies. I love the ones that are like not so easy to box. Yeah, I'm a crazy genre bender. They just are things that come from a particularly unique, I mean, whatever. I don't care if it's popular or not. I think Quentin Tarantino is a fucking genius. And I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was amazing. You know what I mean? I fucking loved Under the Silver Lake. Oh, you know, so, yeah. hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> we, I know, I know. Okay, we always, no, 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 no. We <laughs> always, love that movie. We have it in my, I have it in my notes right here because I can't think of a more ambitious second film for someone than Under the Silver Lake. Yes. And in Cheap Thrills, you yes. mentioned Silver Lake. So I wrote down Silver Lake mentioned because I wanted to crowbar Under the Silver Lake. Oh, uh, nice. Uh, you don't have to, man. I fucking thought it was so refreshing. So I, I fucking love that movie, but I know a lot of people hate it, but I don't care. It's it's one of those movies that you watch. Like, I thought The Witch was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, so I get it. But, like, I, I watched it with my girlfriend, Under the Silver Lake. She hated yeah. it, and I was like, I've seen it three more times since because I'm like, this movie is Alice in Wonderland meets The Big Lebowski. Like, in a way, right. it's like looking for meaning that isn't there, and it reminded me of, like, almost like, you know, the QAnon people. I'm like, this dude is, like, right. completely on a fucking another planet by himself that he can't comprehend what's going on in life that sometimes shit just happens. Uh, what a, f like that, that's a masterpiece. Great use of music. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Oh, like it's masterful. The entire movie is masterful and it's very, you can tell that it was meticulously done by someone who is thinking oh, regardless of whether you believe in its thematics regardless of whether you think the main character is an asshole and whether we're supposed to like him or whether the director likes him or not, it doesn't matter. The point is, is you can see that it was meticulously crafted by an individual and not a team of people looking to create a unified universe that's going to make them all stinking rich billionaires. And I oh, think that that's, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. And, and that, absolutely. And I, I'll put it on, on, on with Once Upon a Time. It's, it's that meticulous. Um, I, all right. So I just want to touch on the last two movies. I don't want to hijack your Saturday. Um, I, I got to say, when I when I saw the movie Chop, which is your your first, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the first movie yeah. you, you directed, I, you know, once again, like I wasn't paying attention. I might have like it might have been up on Netflix like in 2011. Mm -hmm. And the plot to this movie like kept unraveling. And I love Will Keenan, right, who's in Terra Firmer. Right. And, and then the other guy, like the guy who plays, um, damn, what's his name? The stranger. His name is Tim Muscatel. Yo, he, those two guys, if they weren't so good, it would have been hard to sell like just the insanity that the movie was. But those two guys played out this, like, 
I don't know if you just want to talk, talk about chop for a minute. Cause I, I think it's so sure. Sure. You know, I, you know, obviously you've got to, it's almost like ripping off the bandaid. I had to direct my first movie and I had, okay. So uh, fundamentally I went to China to shoot a movie called Killjoy three. And I was there on a sound stage for like nine days and I didn't, they weren't letting us out because we were sort of there quasi illegally and, uh, and they wouldn't let us leave. So I was like, I'm not going to go all the way to fucking China and be here for nine days and just work in a soundstage in this clown makeup or whatever. So I, everybody else went home and I went up to Beijing because I wanted to see the Great Wall and whatever. And I didn't know anybody. And I ended up hooking up with this dude that my wife knew through business, who was an importer, exporter, who was like, what are you doing in China? And I said, I'm making a movie. And he was like, well, I would like to make a movie. How much does it cost to make a movie? And I was like, $60,000. And he was like, okay, sounds great. So, I mean, I came back and uh, I had read the script that a dude had sent me. And I was like, uh, I think I could pull this off for the amount of time. And before this guy changes his mind, I mean, I, I came back from China. I had just a couple weeks worth of prep and we shot that movie in like nine days. And we got it out there and we sold it. Like, so I, I, I want to be like, there are misgivings I have about that movie because of how quickly and cheaply it was done. But at the same time, it still stands sort of that Trent Haga test of like, what in the fucking, you know what I mean? Why, why, why didn't I just have six teenagers going into some like place and have a clown or a dude in a bag head or whatever, like kill him. Why would I make, you know, cause I'm fucking crazy, but but uh, I had worked with Will, obviously, and Tara Farmer. Yeah, he was and, great. And, you know, and I had worked with uh, Tim in a movie called The Ghouls. He was a good friend of my, my buddy Chad's. And, uh, and I just knew these two guys would work out together. I've gotten, like, I've only directed two features. And luckily, I seem to have a pretty decent instinct about acting and casting. And I think it also comes from, you know, look, I've worked as a PA. I've worked as an actor. I've worked as a boom guy. I mean, I'm just constantly watching how other directors deal with stuff, watching how personalities get together. And I've used these all as lessons to try to avoid some of the pitfalls that you would normally have. I shot Chop in like nine days, you know what I mean? And anybody else that hadn't worked for Charles Band a lot would probably wouldn't have been able to make something yeah. of that level at that, of that quality in nine days without having to done that before. So I don't, I'm not not proud of Chop, but I do consider it to be sort of footnotey in my repertoire. I but, listen uh, it, as a fan. I'm going to say this: the actual story, because it's it's still like just evil versus evil. It's like no one's really a good person in this story, mm. which I love. Which is like a Tarantino thing. You watch Reservoir Dogs, you know, or The Hateful Eight, who's a masterpiece. Like you, these there's just there's these people and they're in this situation. And once you get to the end of it, another thing that I've noticed about your movies is like, they have the best endings. Like I never watched something that, that you've done that I thought was like, it ended poorly. Right. It is yeah. the most, I'm look, I'm working on whatever. I don't talk about what I'm working on, but there's things and I'm working with another guy on something. And I'm like, look, this ending, man, you got to figure it out. Like, you know, let's face it. And I think, I don't even remember if Lloyd told me this. I don't know who it was, but I, I you know, the, the apocryphal tale is that, you know, it doesn't, you can have sort of a messy climax that doesn't quite nail everything that it needs to nail or whatever. Your whole third act can be sort of sloppy, but if you can leave them in that last minute or 30 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever, if you can like end, on like the strongest note you possibly can, that's what they'll remember. And then it's gonna like obscure sort of that like sloppier, like a third act that you might've done or whatever. That's always been my thing is if you can like really, really like stick the landing, you know what I mean? It's like a gymnast, a gymnast trick. You might be a little wobbly at the height of it, but if you stick that landing nice and solid and you throw your arms up and people like applause, they'll forget about like the wobbliness that might've happened before that. Uh, I think it's one of the most useful tools in a filmmaker's repertoire. And it saddens me that like, I, I watch movies and they just drag out and drag out. I watched the new Steven Soderbergh movie last night and I was like, perfect ending right here. Okay. Oh, wait, no, wait. Oh, we're going to go on for like another four minutes and uh, like sort of tie up everybody's. Ah, come on. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to watch that today, actually. I'm a, I love that, that cast. And speaking of, and of great endings, if we could jump to. 68 kill yeah let's finish it up with 68 the, say, the, say the ending obviously somebody hasn't seen it it's listening but another up on netflix ending. up on netflix 
Yep. And um, uh, is it now? Yeah. Oh, is oh. it? I, I watched. No. Oh no 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 no. Watched no. it on um, IFC I, uh, through Prime. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's one of those weird ones that. It went to Showtime for like a year, and I was like, oh, man, nobody's got Showtime. Then it went to, first it was on Blu-ray or whatever, then VOD, then Showtime. Then when I went to Netflix for a year, that's when all of a sudden fucking people realized it even existed. And right now, I don't know. It's like, it's hard to, it's you got to go. Hulu. Like, I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hulu and it was AMC supposed Plus. to come out on Hulu. It was supposed to come out on Hulu on July 1st, according to all these websites. I yeah, was like, oh, it's. Shit. It's up. So because uh, I, oh. I, I have it, I, I went to go find it. And my two options were AMC Plus and Hulu. So that's. Oh, so it is on Hulu. Yeah. OK. You know what? It might have come out today on Hulu, as a matter of fact. This was another it, great like, uh, you know, kind of taking a, not ordinary, but like a regular kind of guy, a person yes. that's not looking <laughs> to be a hero in a traditional film, but thrown into these extraordinary circumstances and, you know, and how he reacts and uh it's it's fantastic. Uh, if, I wonder if Thank you can talk you. about how that came about. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? It's actually based on a novel by this guy named Brian Smith. I'm a big, I'm a voracious reader. You know, I've been reading. I've not never, never not been reading something since I learned how to read. Uh, uh, so you, you worked in a bookstore in college or whatever. So I've read and read and read and read and read and read and, read and, read and I'm always looking for the new guy or whatever. So this guy, Brian's been around for a while. He lives in Tennessee. Uh, he had some early novels published by these guys, Leisure, who were doing a lot of the horror reprints, like in the, in the aughts. And uh, uh, then he started self-publishing and I followed him through my Kindle. And uh, he was mostly a horror dude, but then he wrote this sort of crime book called Six. It's like, I all, but I'm a different sort of a thing. And uh, I just read it and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I know, I don't know what exactly he's doing. I do know what he's doing, but I also am like feeling my own filter through this story. And I think it could be really interesting. I think it could be doable. And I just contacted the guy and, you know, like any authors, it's like, mm -hmm, yeah, sure. Yeah. Low budget filmmaker wants to option one of my books. Uh, yeah. Great. Whatever, dude. You know? And uh, yeah, all my buddies have had this happen too. So uh, I think, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I read this guy's book and, you know, just there was a there was changes. There were things that had to had to do, but I think he's super pleased with it because I had read his entire body of work. So I was like, "There's something about this guy's work that really appeals to me," and but I've got to filter it through my own thing. But I really, I think we're very much alike in our worldviews. So it just kind of like really everything dovetailed real nice, and it worked out. You know, but there's uh, as I wanted it. So if you saw the movie and then read the book. can you hear me i could kind of hear you now oh sorry man it's fine where do we cut off all right well whatever i was based on a book that i really liked <laughs> you, you just cut to this part where i say it was based on a book that i really really liked by an author whose work i had read for years named brian smith and he and i have very similar worldviews and i thought it would be a good match and uh, i think he's super pleased with it I am too. It just it just really worked out worked out well that uh, I found the source material that I thought I could do a good job with. You had a great cast in that Did you one as well. For, so, for sure. In, in, yeah, yeah. There's three. One hundred percent. I mean, casting. Huh? Oh no, was I was that? gonna I was gonna say there's three things in here that I really wanted to point out that I thought were fantastic. Um, when Chip is falling in love with Violet when he's chasing her. I think is like the most <laughs> random thing. I love it because it's such a, I feel like it's so like if, 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 if it feels like a Trent Hager movie, it's like that scene. I'm like, yeah, this, this is just, none of this makes sense, but it all makes sense. And I love that scene. Uh, the second thing I have to say, Sheila Vand in a Gigi Allen shirt, holding a fucking gun is the hottest thing I think I've oh, seen yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2017, where, whenever the fuck it was. And the third thing I'm going to mention is, I'm not going to say what I'm just going to say when that shotgun blast blows off the arm and the arm drops and the word fuck is tattooed on it. Yeah. I think that's just such a smart visual thing to do. So I just wanted to mention those. Well, thanks, man. Uh, I mean, obviously the first one, uh, gosh, man, you know what? It all came from this idea that body double is one of my favorite movies in the entire world. I watch it like probably one, 
once a year. And when we're doing the uh, cut, I even use Pino DiNaggio's score with that like sort of uh, Melanie Griffith does the dance. Go for it. I knew that, that scene would maybe like people be like, oh, is this subjectification? Is this whatever? And I'm like, ask all the questions you want. Let me, you know what I mean? I'm just going to do this. It has almost a kind of a vibe to it. You know what I do? And uh, they come from someplace. Uh, so I'm glad that you you like that. And I yeah. do. Just, there's something about that moment, that beat. It works for me too. And I don't yeah. know why, you know. Uh, yeah. Sheila Vand. I met her because uh, Travis Stevens, the producer, knew somebody who knew somebody who knew her. This is how I ended up getting a lot of my cast. And I watched her and a girl walks home alone. But really what sold it for me is that we went and had coffee together and she was like really down. She totally got it. And what's interesting is she's like Iranian, you know? And so she was like, no one has ever offered me sort of like this dirt bag, trailer trash, like what? No, they, I'm always like a anal, intelligence analyst or, you know what I mean? I'm a girl in a hijab. She was in Argo and she's in a girl who walks home, but they always like play up her ethnicity. You know what I mean? And she was like, this is so cool that you're even like bringing me this thing. And uh, it's funny because she wanted to go for an even more outrageous look, but then she's like a working actress and you can't yeah, really ask yeah. somebody to like fuck themselves up completely for a, <laughs> four day long shoot uh you know what i mean and in between like there's stuff where they really get paid but i think we did a pretty cool the gg allen thing was like a must for me i'm very much into like costume okay this is a my my low budget filmmaking lesson right here <laughs> i can't stand it that low budget films costuming you know what i mean unless you're doing a period piece or whatever is like one of the most inexpensive ways to really really like create a world and to create a character. You don't need to go to Walmart and just buy two pairs of the stupidest looking jeans because they match and one might get blood on it. Fuck that. Never listen to your people that are like, we need to be able to get triplicates. If you see a vintage old cool thing that you want, like, you know what I mean? Put it on the character, man. You know what I mean? These guys, people will hem and haw all day long about a special effect that they're gonna see on screen for like 0.25 seconds but they won't put that much time and effort into a costume that is in every frame on the character the entire time they're in the movie. Mm. So lesson learned, you know what I mean? So I was like, my wife is actually the costume designer on that movie. She's uh, really, she doesn't do it, but she does it for my movies. She's nice. a fashion designer. So being around her all the time, I'm constantly <laughs> walking around and be like, oh, you see that shirt? We need to find something like that for this character. Oh my God, look at those pants over there. And so we just keep that shit in mind. I've got all kinds of stuff in my basement costume wise. But the Gigi Allen shirt, I was like, I gotta have a Gigi Allen shirt. I love him. Uh, I mean, I don't, obviously he's super problematic or whatever, but I fucking love him, man. Okay, I, I mean, we all grew up watching Hayden. Shout <laughs> yeah, out to yeah, fucking, right? Yo, uh, only Todd Phillips fucking who directed Joker made yeah. fucking Hayden. I mean, like, come yeah. on. Like, that's My wife, the costume designer, I had been dating her for like a month and I was like, hey, will you go to the movies at this midnight show with me? It's for the documentary about this guy named Gigi oh. Allen. She'd never heard of Gigi Allen. <laughs> I no married one, her. No wonder married. you got married. Yeah, that's yeah, it. I mean, exactly. I married her. I should, so I, uh, I had to have her find a Gigi Allen shirt. And she was online and was like, how about this one? How about this one? How about this one? I'm like, these are all black. I don't want a black shirt. Every one of them's got a black shirt. You got to, you know, we had to order those from England. They only had them in like XXL. She had to like cut them down and like, you know what I mean? Shape them down to fit Sheila and whatever. But I made her do all this work just so I could have that. But you know what? You guys appreciate it. People, those little touches, it's the little details that make an independent movie like stand up above the other. She, she has, you know, Sheila just has a look. Maybe it's like my first crush was the goth girl in, in Michael Penn's video, No Myth. No Myth. And okay. I, I was like 11 and she kind of looks like that, like Sheila. So like to me, like, you know, I don't know, 33 years later, I'm watching this movie. I'm like... That looks like the first video crush I've ever, you know, like, so mentally I'm like, yes, I'm like, I connected with that. And Sheila has such a like a uh, unique look and and then just to, to have a gun. And then on top of that, a fucking Gigi Allen shirt. It's not even right, like, right. it's not even like a misfit shirt or like a Metallica shirt. It's like, you know, that's like you, you dig. Monica it in wouldn't wear those. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you for actually doing the show. This yeah, is awesome. 
Um, yeah, thank you. Much appreciated, man. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, like, thank I you guys, man. Yeah, I know you got something coming out, so we're gonna look forward to that. The, the American Masquerade, was it? Oh, uh, yeah, we haven't even shot that one. I went and got a head cast. We did everything for it, but then COVID happened, and the filmmakers mm. from Australia. So, you know, that one's on the. I'll do it if they call me and tell me where to show up. I'll totally do it. Listen, yeah. top secret. I mean, not top secret, but the truth is, is man, I'm always stirring pots. I got yeah. some stuff coming out that you guys are going to be like, what in the fucking fuck? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I even say it about this thing that's being shot right now, as a matter yeah. of fact. And I'm like, I can't even believe that this is happening. But, you know, I, I don't like to jinx. I don't like to let like, whatever. Hopefully people will listen to this. They'll go to IMDb or Google like you guys did. And you'll see what I'm going to do next because I'm not going to stop. We'll be paying attention, man. We'll be paying sure. attention. Trent, man, thank, thank you, you man. so much. And thank talk yeah, to you thanks soon. for having me, guys. All right. Thank you. you got it. Later, Have man. a good weekend. Happy Bye. fourth. Happy fourth. Bye.